the power and charisma of sustainability in the automotive industry and in racing. Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. Our guest today is Gianfranco Pizzuto. Gianfranco, with your impressive positive presence in the international media as an EV pioneer, you probably don't even need a detailed introduction. But let me just mention a few milestones of your journey and tell our listeners about your background. You have your background in engineering and you learned sales, marketing and business administration mostly on the job. You have that entrepreneurial something in you, which you have proven for 18 years in the field of agriculture, forestry and construction machinery. 13 years ago, you changed to the automotive industry and since then you support the transition to EVs. Your involvement with Fisca Automotive was very significant, where you became the first investor and co-founder. Projects like Scuderia E followed. You promoted also the introduction of Jaguar's first all-electric vehicle in Italy, the Jaguar I-Pace, and you served as an inspiring consultant in the automotive industry. Your latest project, which is actually also very well accompanied by the media, is the entry into Formula E with an Italian-Turkish or Turkish-Italian team, it depends where you're looking from. You seem to be extremely inspiring to the people, so that the willingness to follow your vision is very, very strong. So much for the introduction. Now let's talk about developments in the automotive industry, innovative sustainability, e-racing, higher purpose of your work, inspiring projects, business corporations, lifelong learning and leadership. Gianfranco, let's get into the subject a little chronologically. Your entry into automotive business came with your investment in Fisco Automotive, with whom you have also gone through difficult times. What was the initial spark that got you into this high-risk business? Was it love at first sight with the unique design of Fisca Karma? Yes, indeed. I think it was love at first sight. When Henry Fisker explained the design to me with this very long wheelbase, short overhangs and stunning proportions, uh, and I saw also the clay model, which was uh, right there in front of me, and the uh, people working on the clay model to prepare it in time for the Detroit Auto Show in 2008. This was seriously something I have never seen before and made me decide to invest in this uh, new venture. What are your lessons learned from your Fisker Automotive days? Oh gosh, the lessons learned with Fisker Automotive. Uh, well, for sure, It would take days to tell everything I have learned and I would do differently. Uh, but uh, this is also reason why I'm uh, actually writing a book about my story with Fisker Automotive. Six long years with a roller coaster experience, I would say, and I would call. But for sure, what I have learned is that money alone doesn't make a company successful. Even though we had enough funds, I think uh, maybe we had the funds in the not perfect timing. Uh, we had 
good funding at the beginning, then we had uh, less funding halfway, and then we had maybe enough funding towards the end. But still, it was not very well managed. And what I'm saying is that also the people or mainly the people are at the end responsible to make something uh, successful or not. I think there were people inside the company that were marketing themselves rather than marketing the company. So hiring the right people with the right uh, attitude uh, was, in this case, uh, more important than the funds. And I think because we had this kind of pressure, we couldn't have enough time maybe to also look more in detail what are the people that we are really needing to have on board. So uh, I, I think the lessons at the end are mainly two lessons that I have learned. Funding in the right way and hiring the right people is what really is king. It's been 13 years since you joined Fisco Automotive as an investor and co-founder. What was the acceptance of EVs back then? What were the technical challenges and the prejudices of that time? In 2007, we only had like a handful of companies working on electric vehicles and plug-in electric vehicles in California. And we were considered pretty much exotic. And uh, most of the people thought that as an industry, we are not going to survive for long like it uh, happened already in the past. There is no doubt that initially the toughest challenge we had to face was the lithium-ion battery. Not only there were few manufacturers worldwide that could supply the battery cell that we needed for our plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, they also wanted to have cash up front because as startupper they didn't trust us to pay when it was the time of delivery. Therefore, all the money had to be paid from our side in advance. Electrification is still probably the most important current trend in the automotive industry. Are you satisfied with the development over the last 13 years? I would be happy if today we would have in every country a situation similar to the one we have in Norway, where 50 to 60 percent of all new vehicles sold are electric. I understand that this is a wishful thinking and it cannot happen overnight, but I think that in three to five years we probably reach on a global scale what we see happen today in Norway. What other trends and developments do you see in the automotive industry? Mobility as a service will change the automotive industry. Instead of having most of the cars sitting idle like we see today, these vehicles will run most of the time and will be operated by fleets and not by single owners. Therefore, they will be designed in a way where hardware and software can be upgradable. And have there also been developments that have been surprising for you? Indeed, it surprises me to see that most car manufacturers are still designing electric vehicles the same way they were used to do with the standard powertrains, while they could go far more radical instead. How do you see the influence of the state with all the limitations, bans, etc. when switching to more environmentally friendly forms of mobility? Is it the right approach for the mass adoption of green mobility? 
I think it's positive for governments to give incentives and such to boost the adoption of zero emission vehicles. And a good example is Norway. Within few years, they went from very little market penetration to more than 50% of all new car sales being zero emission vehicles. Electrification has brought a particular trend. It seems that it has become much easier to build cars, as extremely many new players have come into the game. Do you share this view and how much time does it take nowadays to reach the SOP, so the start of production for a completely new electric vehicle development? And another related question, at which level of maturity should a newly developed vehicle be delivered to customers? I think this is very true. An electric powertrain is more simple to manufacture than the conventional one using internal combustion engine, gearbox and other components. And from inception to start of production, a three years period is absolutely reality. As for the second part of the question, I think that we will reach a 100% level of maturity based on the hardware components of the electric powertrain of the car, while the software, similar to what Tesla is already doing, is constantly updated over the air without having to go to the dealer, like in most cases today. You are very familiar with the investments in the automotive industry. How high do you estimate the average capital needed to develop a new vehicle? It's up to you what type of vehicle you would like to consider. And with which financial buffer should you protect yourself against eventualities? This is a very difficult and tough question to answer because it also depends on the type of car you want to produce. Is it a mass production vehicle, a luxury vehicle, a supercar, hypercar? So what I can tell is my personal experience. We had $5 million initial investment available. And with this money, we could produce two show cars, which we put on display at the Detroit show first and later at the Geneva show. And with this initial investment, we were able to secure over time up to a billion dollars, which then allowed us to produce 2,600 Fisker Karma. Let's move on to your time at Scuderia e-project. So that our listeners can correctly assess you as a personality, let me say in advance what a maker you are. If the range of a car isn't enough for you, you call in your contacts in the engineering field and you, let's say, quickly develop a working technical solution. And you also make a business case out of it. That's how briefly our listeners can imagine this project. What is your most important driving force that makes you question the state of the art again and again? Without any doubt, it's my network. I'm in the automotive industry since 2007, but I'm in a specific field of the automotive industry, and it's the electric part of this industry. Therefore, the network I have created over these years is allowing me to really have this driving force and being able to improve the product I'm presenting. When I started to import the Fiat 500 electric from California to Europe, I was using the car myself to understand the product. And so after a while, I have seen that the range and the charging speed weren't really ideal. And therefore I decided because of my physical automotive background, to call some of these engineers that could help me in developing something which would improve 
the range and the charging speed. And therefore we designed a new battery with new battery cells that could increase the energy density, therefore achieving more range on one side and also allowing DC fast charging so that we could get instead of three, four hours to charge completely the battery down to 30 minutes to have 80% of the battery charged and make the new Fiat 500 electric transformed by Scuderia E something that also some other customer would like to have upgraded. Gianfranco, since 2018, you have been working on the development of a new HV battery for your electric Fiat Cinquecento to break the world record for electric city cars by driving from Salzburg in Austria to Oslo in Norway in less than 24 hours. At least that was the goal. The technical trick was a self-constructed battery that had twice as much energy density as an ordinary one. How did it work in practice and why is it important to show the public what is technically possible at such events? Yes, this is correct. Together with my team, we increased the battery capacity by actually more than twice the original capacity of 24 kilowatt hours. Therefore, we could reach a theoretical range of 400 kilometers. At the end, what you really get on highway speed is something around 350 kilometers. And since you have to stop a little bit earlier in order to charge the car, the actual distance we were able to achieve on highway speed was between 320-330 kilometers, which was at least twice uh, the range you could have with the original battery. What went not so good was actually when we did the trial, Uh, the fact that on the German Autobahn we had in the middle of the night uh, roadworks that uh, weren't, uh, uh, you know, uh, signalized and uh, we had to do a detour. We had to uh, exit the highway or the, the motorway, the Autobahn, and take uh, these little roads uh, crossing little towns. And that was uh, pretty tough because that was about 70 kilometers Uh, that we had to do at a speed of maximum 50 kilometers an hour. And therefore, we lost so much time that at the end, we couldn't reach uh, Oslo in uh, 24 hours. Additionally, there was also a fast charger, which was not uh, functioning because it had one of those uh, uh, updates, software updates over the air in the middle of the night, I think three o'clock in the morning, and it was the only fast charger we had back then. This is uh, 2018. Today, for instance, uh, we could have much more options. There are much more providers today that are offering uh, fast charging capabilities in Europe, and it wouldn't happen again. Uh, we repeated in 2019 Uh, the test, but then we had, unfortunately, between uh, Hamburg and the Danish border, we had a hurricane uh, coming in um, with a very funny name. I think it was like uh, Lester or something like that. So uh, strong winds, very heavy rains, it made very dangerous to continue the trip. So we had to interrupt the trip. But 
you know, we, we made it uh, for more than half the way. Uh, and it, we were very well under the circumstances. We were keeping uh, roughly 100 kilometers an hour of average speed. So we were on time. But then again, the hurricane came in. And uh, then we have programmed to repeat it this year in May 2020. Uh, but then uh, in February, late February, we had COVID-19 hitting Europe and especially hitting Italy very hard. So we had the lockdown. We couldn't do any development, any test. Uh, we could run only, you know, software updates and these sort of things, but we couldn't work on the hardware and we could do testing. So we are now in June and uh, still we have no idea uh, when we will uh, able to repeat uh, the test and the record. So I hope sincerely that maybe by the end of the summer uh, we can do another trial. It is important to show what is actually the capability also of a small city car in driving electric. We have virtually no more limits. We have a lot of models with enough range. We have an infrastructure which is coming up and coming stronger every day, which is allowing us to refill or recharge in this case in maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes, uh, up to 80% of our battery. In this time, while we have the battery being recharged, we can either take a little break and have uh, maybe breakfast or lunch or do some work with our emails. So if we organize just a little bit in a different way our day with the electric car, we have no limits and the future will be even better. Now we are writing the year 2020. What is your vision? What is the higher purpose for your work now? For 2020, I have actually two big projects going on. I have been delayed like everyone else uh, because of COVID-19 and I couldn't travel for more than three months now. So one project is, is going to be, of course, uh, probably towards the end of the year because it's in South America, is a mobility project in Uruguay to transform uh, their actual mobility possibly within 10 years in a total electric mobility, since Uruguay has almost all of its electricity produced with renewable energy. The second project is a sort of revamping project. I would like to take uh, a dismissed factory in their Italian motor valley, in the area between Bologna and Modena, where very famous brands are already since many years uh, producing supercars. And not only, there are also a lot of components uh, companies that are working there and they are specialized mainly in, of course, traditional uh, mobility. And what I would like to bring is this uh, knowledge about electric mobility, zero emission mobility, therefore create a hub attracting these companies that are interested into developing something which is more sustainable and of course zero emission. And what is your vision regarding your latest project Formula E? Where is the journey heading? The Formula E project is a very tough project indeed as I have first to take over one of the 12 existing teams 
And uh, secondly, once uh, one of these teams uh, effectively wants to sell their uh, participation in the championship, uh, I will have to bring up enough capital not only to take the team, but also to run it for at least a couple of seasons. Therefore, I'm not in a hurry. If it's not going to be this year, I will certainly try next year and next year again. But my dream is actually to bring an Italian team in the Formula E. We have actually uh, all teams uh, from the major manufacturers already in. And one nation is missing, and this is Italy. So, of course, I will try to make it happen together with some of my uh, partners that are currently Turkish partners. They also will uh, be able to provide with technology like uh, the powertrain because the cars itself, the monocoque, is the same for everyone. But you can do your own powertrain if you want. So we would like to show what we can do in terms of technology. So having our own powertrain will also do very good for our own companies. It will be a very good uh, marketing tool to show that we are very capable and that we are on top with the big brands. Gianfranco, you recently announced who will support you on the technical side in your latest project. It consists of three big pillars, three companies that provide their know-how and skills. There we have Scuderia E as your own brand, Armica Electronic and Electron Innovative. Where do you see the strengths of each pillar? I see Scuderia E in the next future to be a sort of uh, Abarth of the electric cars. So Carlo Abarth and his brand Abarth in the 50s, 60s and 70s used to transform uh, small uh, cars like the Fiat's 500, 600 and so on and so forth into little beasts by increasing the power and performance and making them you know more enjoyable for the people that uh, couldn't afford to buy a Ferrari or Maserati uh, therefore I see myself and the Scuderia e-brand in something like this making uh, smaller cars like the Fiat 500 and also other models uh, you know more more sporty and not anybody everybody can afford to buy a Tesla and uh, have a performance car so this is where I see my strengths and uh, in the Formula E I of course will show how capable uh, we are as Scuderia E team to bring together other uh, companies uh, partner companies like Imecar which is based in Antalya Turkey and is uh, uh, basically uh, transforming any car into electric any powertrain uh, which is uh, born as a combustion engine powertrain he can retrofit into electric powertrains but he can also develop uh, total new powertrains very performant Uh, powertrains with uh, up to 1000 kilowatt for instance for the Electron Innovative Company which is presenting the Electron One car at Geneva uh, next year in 2021. Uh, therefore we all together want uh, to show and demonstrate what we are capable to do all together. So Electron One will be the hypercar supercar producer Uh, Imecar will provide the powertrain and will produce his own inverter to make our team uh, hopefully successful. 
And uh, again, uh, we all want to be possibly having a, a common roof, which will be the Italian Motor Valley. So we will, de- we will do development and also uh, production for high-performing powertrains very soon, uh, all together near Modena, Bologna, uh, as I was explaining before, in this sort of tech hub of the electric mobility. Of course, the technical details are only one side of the coin. You will certainly need sponsors to make the entry into Formula E. As you wrote in the social media, you are old school in that respect. But not only the financial aspect is important. When choosing sponsors, it's also important that you believe in the same vision, at best at least. What do you pay attention to when looking for sponsors? We will be very happy to have lots of sponsors that are going to share the same vision uh, with us of a more sustainable world, of a zero emission mobility, of the circular economy. So uh, zero emission energy production with renewable like uh, solar, wind and so on and so forth. So, uh, of course, uh, we will be very careful that whoever is coming and is interested in sponsoring us is going to share this vision. Um, it would be uh, not very helpful um, if we would just look on the monetary part of the sponsorship. So we want to have a long partnership with uh, many seasons, hopefully, at least two or three is the commitment they have to share with us in order to also have a very strong relation with our sponsors that actually will become our partners in this venture. In the beginning, securing the needed financing will probably be the biggest challenge. What other challenges are you expecting? And I'm pretty sure that you are not going to be discouraged, as I would assess your personality. Actually, Ludmilla, I'm not scared at all of all the challenges that we will have uh, ahead of us. I know because of my long experience, they will come and they will be unexpected. But uh, actually, the toughest challenge I have to overcome right now is the financial burden we have. COVID-19, three months of lockdown, the automotive industry on its knees, it's not helping at all. But, uh, you know, I think I'm always positive. I was always positive as an entrepreneur, as a person. We will find the right uh, partners that we can uh, start and kickstart this project in a, a very strong way. So keep finger crossed. Gianfranco, would you need help in any other areas? And are you looking for further cooperation partners? Of course, I need help. So uh, any company that wants to join me and uh, my other partners in this uh, kind of uh, hub I want to create in the Italian Motor Valley, uh, like becoming then the electric Motor Valley at some point, is very welcome. The location we are currently looking uh, to take is uh, big enough and can host uh, many more companies in addition to our three starting companies. So if someone is listening and is interested in joining us, the location is around Modena, just to let you know. And uh, it's a perfect location to grow and to attract other investors and other companies to join forces. So I would welcome 
any of these companies that are sharing this vision together with us. We received a great question from our technical network regarding corporations. Formula E is limited to 12 teams, but in developing new technology, on one hand you need diverse ideas and competition to get innovation, and on the other hand you need collaboration and cooperation to progress ideas as quickly as possible and at lowest cost. Where do you see the optimum balance between competing technologies and collaboration? It is quite possible to share components among other teams, uh, which are virtually, you know, competitors inside a championship. But ultimately, everyone is also looking into saving costs, uh, developing costs and, you know, investment that everyone has to do uh, if it's uh, something that is developed in-house like the powertrain. I think that... Uh, One cost that is associated uh, with the powertrain is the hardware. The other cost is then the software that will run and interact with the different components. And I uh, see where we might have something in common on hardware and where we are going to differentiate our uh, powertrain then because of the software. So most likely we will have... Uh, software developments made in a different way while uh, there is absolutely the possibility to share some hardware components which are of course uh, quite expensive if it's developed just you know in a single way one by one. Formula E is far from being a pure fun sports event. It is about technology development but also about achieving the needed awareness for the environmental aspects. What can we expect in terms of technology and innovation from Formula E to our daily life? And how quickly can the innovations from racing actually be implemented? Since in recent years the major OEMs joined the Formula E championship, I think that we will see more and more what is being developed in racing to be then mass-produced for everyday cars. I think that if we get the chance to have our Scuderia E team running in the next season or in one of the next seasons, we surely will be able to have the same kind of approach where what we are developing as powertrain and as solution to be you know, more competitive and more energy efficient, we will have then the chance to introduce the same technology or a similar technology or an adapted technology into a production car, which in our case will be the Electron One, and hopefully it will be uh, you know, offered for sales in 2021 after the Geneva Motor Show. We also received some questions from our technical network regarding low cost and endurance racing. Now, if you look at endurance racing, what do you think are the right solutions to make endurance race also possible for e-race cars? Would it be battery swap, ultra-fast charging or any other disruptive ideas? In this kind of races, I think that uh, battery swap technology could have another chance. You know, uh, It was dropped and dismissed uh, in many cases, uh, but maybe now the time is come where there is a possibility for this technology to be a winning solution. Therefore, I'm curious to see if I'm right or if maybe we're going to have hyperchargers also into uh, this endurance racing. So let's see. I'm very curious about. 
In low-cost racing, the competition in the entry categories is very tough, which makes the whole thing exciting because there are actually a lot of participants. When might we see e-racing solutions for entry categories similar to the actual 1.6 NA touring cars? We are maybe a couple of years away from having electric car races costing less than conventional cars. It's just a matter of the cost of the battery. And it will take these couple of years until we reach a price below $100 per kilowatt hour. And once we reach that point, you will see that we will be absolutely uh, competitive with the traditional cars. Do you have an opinion in the field of mobility or, let's say, in technology in general, which is not popular compared to the opinion of the general public? Is there anything that's out of line? What really surprises me is to observe that most car manufacturers are still thinking to continue to do business as usual also in the next years. That means to continue to produce the same amount of cars rather than have something which is going to implement the mobility. I personally think that the more we progress, the more artificial intelligence is going to be applied to our mobility. And of course, one of these artificial intelligence will be applied in the self-driving vehicles. So it will less be uh, in, of an importance uh, what kind of brand we are driving. It will be more important what kind of service we are driving, who is the service provider rather than who is the vehicle provider. So the Ubers will become more important in respect to the Mercedes. Gianfranco, I now generally asked, what gives you inspiration for new technical ideas or new business ideas? Usually I need to be in the nature and be inspired by the beauty of the mountains or a lake or a sea or whatever. And more recently, what happened to me happened also to many of you was the COVID-19 lockdown. So these three months where I couldn't travel allowed me to rethink uh, the whole business ideas I was, uh, you know, trying to um, get through before the COVID-19 time. And also with uh, sharing these ideas with my friends helped a lot because I knew they were in the same situation like me. They also had to experience the lockdown and I knew they were available most of the time. So this is, uh, you know, in general, what is inspiring me. Uh, tranquility, basically. Gianfranco, even with the best preparation, it sometimes happens that it just doesn't work. It can affect the technical side, but also the human factor. What do you do on the days when nothing wants to succeed and everything goes wrong, what can go wrong? How do you basically deal with difficulties? I don't remember really a time in my life where it wasn't difficult. So anything I was starting uh, was uh, at the beginning uh, difficult and it also turned out eventually to be even more difficult down the road. And I think if uh, we call it uh, an entrepreneur, someone that does something by his own, There is a reason and uh, it is an enterprise. Whatever you do by your own, trying to finance the whole thing and then create your uh, business idea and transform it into a product, selling it, uh, servicing it, uh, finding uh, places where you can 
increase your market, whatever, it is, uh, it is difficult. And I think it's something that you, you train because uh, I started my first company, I was uh, 23 years old. Uh, I will turn 59 very soon. So all my life was dedicated to open up companies, uh, growing businesses, uh, starting over again. Uh, uh, of course, uh, many failures, uh, but this is normal. If you do a lot in your life, uh, you will do something good and you will do also something wrong. So it's a part of... Uh, a process of being you know capable of doing enterprises and starting and, and getting used to have difficulties all the time so basically i think in my case i'm trained to have difficulties and uh, most of the time i am able to get rid of these difficulties myself uh, but sometimes you know when it's uh, something bigger than you then uh, you just have to rethink and probably also to accept the failure and then uh, uh, gain forces back again, uh, resume. And if you have, of course, uh, friends, family uh, beside you, it will be easier. In my case, I uh, think I'm very happy to have a very strong uh, and good family, which is always behind me, even if I fail. Uh, this is very important to find the force and the power of start again because the people that surrounds you are positive and trust in you. I think this is probably the biggest strength of any man and woman to have the environment around ourselves which is pushing you to get to the next level and is believing in you. I cannot imagine to be successful as an entrepreneur if you don't have such a kind of environment around you. So get rid of the negative persons that are accompanying you and just keep those that are positive and are influencing you in a very positive way. Uh, I think that also someone that might uh, give you advices and also tell you what's not so good in you uh, are also uh, good people that you have to keep. But uh, I would say uh, try to avoid people that say it's impossible, you will not make it, and all this negativism. I think this is uh, poison uh, for us as an entrepreneur. So stay positive is my advice. Let me ask you a question about your leadership style. Could you please describe your leadership style in three words? So first of all, I think that I'm a team builder. I'm respectful and transparent. Regarding your role as entrepreneur, how important is trust and intuition in business? How important is the famous gut feeling for you? Definitely gut feeling is something that each entrepreneur should trust. Uh, a real entrepreneur has this uh, feeling and it's uh, something you will never forget. So when you feel this tickling and it's a positive tickling, uh, it's hard to describe, but you feel something, you know, in a positive way or in a negative way. So trust this feeling because 99% of the time is going to be 
the one that is going to lead you to success. If you try to override uh, this feeling, at least in my case, then it's very likely that you're going to fail. Gianfranco, how do you handle failures? You own and the failures of the others. I always hope that if I fail, uh, this is not going to influence uh, others. Uh, sometimes uh, this is uh, not pretty easy, you know, but I always try to protect those uh, that had nothing to do with my own failures. So I protect them and uh, take it on my shoulders. And it happened to me many times that I had to pay for someone else's failure. And this is uh, what I really hate the most. Um, it happened to me a couple of times and it uh, costed me a lot of money and uh, a lot of gray hair, actually. Uh, but I have a luck of uh, being a strong character. So I don't allow myself to be down uh, for a very long time. You know, of course, if you get a punch right on your stomach, then uh, you're going to feel it and it's going to hurt. But I'm back on my feet uh, pretty, you know, quick again. And I think this is what makes uh, someone really strong. It's not that you're not never failing. It's not that you're never uh, falling. Uh, you get on your knees, uh, but then you get back again. You stand up again, and then you start walking. Uh, maybe you're more careful, you know, because uh, the older you get, uh, of course, uh, the more careful you are. And I think this is good. So I really think it's a matter of uh, finding the energy uh, inside yourself And then not try to look back too much, but look in front of you. Look what it's coming up. So if it's a door that it's closing, maybe a gate is opening. Think about this. So if something shuts down for a reason, uh, there is another chance coming up. Just uh, don't stop and continue to move. You have to move. You have to get in front of your problems and uh, let everything else behind because, you know, it's uh, just not going to work uh, in uh, uh, getting too much into the detail why you did something wrong. You know it. You know it very well that you did something wrong. Uh, most of the time, if you're an intelligent person, you learn out of it and you increase, uh, you know, next time you will be better and Therefore, we only learn because we do mistakes. It's a process of growing. Therefore, take it uh, with philosophy. And uh, without the failures, you would never be able to be successful. And I think this is someone like uh, Niki Lauda said, uh, and he was, uh, if uh, you don't know Niki Lauda, he was one of the best uh, Formula One drivers of the 70s and early 80s. Um, he recently passed away and he was a very successful manager for many Formula One teams. He also owned uh, Lauda Air, which is uh, an airline, uh, an Austrian airline that was competing with Austrian airlines, actually. So he failed and he lost his airline several times. Then he came back. Um, I personally think uh, and get inspiration out of these examples. And I think if they were able to do it, I can do it as well. 
So this is how I handle uh, my failures, trying to get stronger than before. Who inspires you when it comes to business and leadership? Do you have a role model? Has anyone in your career been significant, guiding or inspiring? Nikki Lauda was a true inspiration for me. As I mentioned briefly before, he was a blessed Formula One driver, an entrepreneur and a manager. He failed, then he came back and was successful. So it is something that really inspired me through all my career. And Instrumental was also another person for me, especially in the transition time in 2007, when I came from another industry and I then switched to the automotive industry. This gentleman was uh, towards the end of his career, almost retired, but he was with me for several years and he made me understand a total new world, which was the automotive industry. And therefore, he was like a mentor for me. So I'm very thankful to this gentleman, which I, from time to time, have the luck to be still in contact. And this is something I will never forget. These are the ones that are maybe not that famous, but for everyone, very important for the personal life and for our career. Gianfranco, what would you have advised young Gianfranco in his 20s? I wouldn't say uh, really very much to young Gianfranco. I would tell him, trust your gut feeling and forget all the rest. Yes, I think this is uh, what I would tell him if I would face him today. What was the best advice you ever heard? Well, I had uh, many advices, of course, during my life, uh, especially from my grandmother. My grandmother was really another big personality in my life and I still miss her after many years but I think uh, it could be you know uh, maybe the one that is uh, reflecting also my own uh, personality and philosophy and it's uh, plan in decades think in years work in months and live in days so indeed we have to uh, look in front of us and you know, uh, live every day as it would be the last one. We never know when we have to go away from this uh, planet. And uh, therefore, I would say, yeah, this is probably the best advice, uh, at least the one that I can remember right now. Gianfranco, if you had an extra hour a day, what would you use it for? Oh, that would be great to have 25 hours in one day. Well, 30 years ago, probably my answer would have been uh, one hour more to party. But today I would say one hour more to sleep because I don't sleep very much. And adding one hour is what I would really enjoy if I could. In which areas are you still learning the most? You know, I'm terrible with numbers and accounting. So this is really my weak point. And this is where I definitely need to learn much more. And I hope still to be able to get something. Um, even, you know, I'm not that young anymore, but uh, there is uh, never a finish line for anything. So let's say that uh, I'm willing to learn more to deal with numbers and accounting balance sheet and all this stuff and uh, hopefully someone is going to help me with that. Gianfranco, do you have a motto or a guiding quote that you would like to share with us? 
Indeed, I love quotes and I have a collection of quotes on my WhatsApp profile, which I'm changing like every week or second week. And if you would go on my WhatsApp profile right now, Ludmilla, you would read the following quote. Stand for something or fall for anything. Gianfranco, thank you very much for taking the time to be our guest today. Answering all our questions very transparently, sharing your experiences, wishes and visions with us. Honestly, one does not often get insights, especially into the financial situation of automotive projects. It is an honor for me to welcome such a strong character and a great personality here. One can really learn a lot from you. You radiate so much positivity and optimism, but also perfectly mixed with the necessary amount of realism, foresight and self-reflection. I'm really looking forward to your book. It's also great that you can rely on your family and your good network. Network is really crucial. We would also like to take this opportunity to thank everyone who supported the announcement to welcome you as our guest on the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. And most of all, thanks to everyone who actively submitted their question for you. It is great to see how this digital knowledge exchange platform works. Thank you all. And we are looking forward to your feedback after listening to our podcast. Well, and again, an outstanding personality from the technical world has become a little bit more human and real. Thank you very much, Ludmilla and Elite Experts Conferences for having me here as your guest in this podcast. I hope it wasn't too boring to listen to all the answers to your questions. And of course, you're invited to join me on LinkedIn or any other social media. And if you are interested to invest in one of my projects, you are very welcome. I look forward to, and who knows, maybe you will be part of my team in the future. So thank you again. And I look forward to be here again anytime. And now it's time to say Arrivederci a tutti. Ciao, ciao. Gianfranco, grazie mille. Ti auguro grande successo per i tuoi progetti. Ti auguro che la tecnologia, ma anche la fortuna necessaria, sia sempre dalla tua parte. Alla prossima volta. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode.